Have you ever lost someone that was really important to you, even just in moving away? Or maybe a a co-worker took another job? They're just not there anymore? Um, When I was in high school, my two best friends were named Steve and Steve. Unfortunately, they were a year older than me. So my, at the end of my junior year, they graduated and left. And my senior year, I lacked my two best friends. It affected that senior year. It wasn't the same. I think that's how the disciples must have felt. We continue in the story now, and we actually have four weeks left, including today, to do the rest of the New Testament. Not a big assignment at all. And the, the fourth one is actually the book of Revelation. So just one Sunday, just about that one book. So today we are jumping ahead. Uh, Last week, as Andy said in his communion meditation, we celebrated Easter and Christ's resurrection. But today we've actually jumped ahead 40 days. And it's going to be 50, but we're going to pick up at 40 days. Jesus has been with the disciples, and he's been spending a lot of time with them. He's shown himself to a variety of disciples enough different times, and to enough different disciples, so there is no doubt he's alive. And I I want you to remember that. There was a purpose in him showing himself to so many different people, because later, obviously, the average person doesn't come back from the grave. So later, it would be very normal for people to say, well, yeah, that's just how you remember it. But really, alive again, But Jesus showed himself to so many different people. At one time, we're told, to one group of over 500. So there were always people around who said, no, no, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. He is alive again. And so at the end of that time, Jesus leaves them. And and that's where I want to sort of catch up today and sort of start the story. Because I want us to understand what the disciples must have been feeling that day as they sort of move forward without Jesus. So, and keep your finger here, because we're going to come back to Acts later in the sermon. But I want to read verses 9 through 11. Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So they're just standing out on a hill, and suddenly Jesus just starts going up. And the higher he gets, suddenly they don't see him just because of the clouds. And so they were all looking intently up into the sky as he was going. They're just staring there. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And I think this is one of the most ironic lines in the book of Acts. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? Well, what else are you going to do? I mean, really, stop there for a second. I... I think the angels had a point, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but at face value, it's like, what else am I going to be looking at? Jesus has just left, and he went that way, and I'm looking up that way, trying to see, can I see him anymore? Will the clouds part? And a whole lot of introspection of what in the world are we going to do? He's gone. And I want you to think about this group of disciples. Because even for those who knew Jesus the longest, three years earlier, which in a lifetime isn't that much time, they didn't even know him. Look at all that had happened to them in three years. 
whether they were a fisherman, a tax collector, a businessman, a a stay-at-home mom, whatever they were, Jesus had come along and he had called them and changed their lives forever. Where they went, decided by Jesus. Answers to their questions, answered by Jesus. In over their heads, help from Jesus. Their life had revolved around Jesus. And he just left the building. I think it was normal for them to sit there and do some serious searching. What are we going to do? Jesus is gone. Now that actually happened at the 40-day mark. Now, they had an assignment, I'm going to call it. They did have something to do, and I think that was the point of the angel saying, why are you standing here? What they really, I think, were saying was, why are you still standing here? He told you what to do. You better get busy doing your assignment. So let's read that assignment. It's actually a little bit right before that passage. In Acts 4 through 8, chapter 1, 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. This is Jesus. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now remember that question. We'll come back later and talk about it. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father was set from, has set by his own authority. But, in other words, no, the kingdom isn't happening now, but this is what you do need to do now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what I think the angels were trying to remind those disciples about as they stood there gazing up into heaven. Rather than, in a sense, focusing on what we've lost, the angels reminded them to focus on their assignment, what they needed to do. And so now we need to jump ahead. So that was at 40 days after Jesus, after Easter. And so for 10 days, they stayed in Jerusalem doing what he told them to do, wait. He didn't give them a date, and they hadn't read the New Testament. They were just waiting. But then at 50 days, what he had promised happens, and that's what's commonly called Pentecost, because it was actually a Jewish holiday. And just so you know, they figure in Jerusalem on Passover, which is what Easter was, when Christ was crucified and rose from the dead, Jerusalem probably swelled to over a million people even in the ancient world because Jews from all over the Mediterranean would come to be in Jerusalem for Passover. If they were wealthy enough, in other words, if they were self-supported, many of them would stay the 50 days for Pentecost. So those two holidays sort of became bookends on an ancient Jewish pilgrimage. And so you'd go to Jerusalem and you'd spend a month and a half there and wait for Pentecost and then you'd go home. So there was still a big crowd there, which 
we hear about in Acts 2. And that's when Jesus' promise came true. So flip over one chapter in Acts to chapter 2, and I want to right now just read the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Jesus had promised them help for the assignment he gave them. And it is on this day, the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit comes down and comes upon each one of them and is that help that they would need to carry out their mission from Jesus. He had promised this back in Acts, uh, I'm sorry, John 16. It is for your good that I'm going away, Jesus says. Because if I don't go away, then the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, some translations use helper, some translations use comforter. I want to talk about that word for just a second because it's such a neat concept of the role of the Holy Spirit. In, in the original language that Paul wrote in, and Luke wrote in, and the New Testament was written in, it, it's a dual word, it's a compound word. And it literally means called beside. And it's the concept, sort of like an advocate, of somebody stronger than me, smarter than me, more powerful than me, who is called to come stand beside me, to help me, to be my advocate, to be my helper, that person which has come there to lift me up and help me accomplish what I need to accomplish. And Jesus said, you're going to be better off if I leave you and return to heaven because then that other part of the Trinity, that other part of God, will come down in my place and he will be right with each of you. If you read the rest of chapter 2, Peter quotes in his sermon a prophecy way back from the prophet Joel. And that promise of God was that in my new kingdom, when it comes, all my people, men and women, are going to receive this spirit. This comforter, this paraclete is the word, this called beside one who will be your helper, your advocate. And Peter says, guess what? That promise is happening today in Jerusalem in this very place. And that's when all of this takes place, and as several have said in the service, what we call the birthday of the church. Because it was really on this day when the Spirit comes, Peter preaches that the church begins its mission, its assignment that we read from Acts 1. And so what we have here, and I want to sort of lay out a big picture for you, what we have here is what I want to call the third phase of God's plan. And to look at the story as a whole, okay? We started last September with Genesis, and we've been going through it, and we're going to end in three more weeks. 
But we saw in that story, and I've used these diagrams before, we saw God create us, the world, the universe, and give us as humans his image. Of all creation, we are the only ones who carry the image of God. We're his children. We always talk about how children resemble their parents. God says, I want you to resemble me. So he gave you and I, humans, part of the image of God. The problem is, part of that image of God is we have our own mind and our own will, and we can make our own choices. And as this diagram shows from Adam and Eve on, too often us humans have said, you know, I like to call the shots in my own life. I like to decide what I'm going to do. And when we start to do that, then we take God's role on ourselves. And that creates a separation between us and God because we're not following him anymore. We're following ourselves. Adam and Eve did it. When they ate the fruit, he told them not to eat. And since then, all of us humans at some point, sooner or later, line up with Adam and Eve and disobey God and get separated from him. But God didn't stop there. He wasn't willing to accept that reality, those choices we made. And so he began his reclamation project. He was not going to let his children walk away from him without pursuing them. Because he loves us. We're his children. Any parent understands that. Any person who is close to another and that other walks away, we just can't let him go. We need to somehow try and restore that relationship. And that's what God did. And the first thing he did, which I want to call phase one of God's plan, is the nation of Israel. And we've spent most of our time in the story looking at the Old Testament and that nation of Israel and how God worked in this phase one to create a people that were his own people, so that through that nation of Israel, the world could learn about Jehovah God. And the world could see what can happen if you live with God instead of rebelling against Him. And people could start to find their way back to their Heavenly Father, Jehovah God. But the other purpose of God in this phase one was to create what I want to call a base of operations for phase two. Because God knew phase one would not fix creation. It wouldn't restore all his children to him. He knew there would have to be more steps in the plan. And that brings us to phase two, which is what we've been looking at for the last two weeks. Uh, four weeks. And that is when God himself chose to come to earth as Jesus. And a perfect God enter a sinful world with all the children who have rebelled against him and said, we're not interested in you. He came anyway. He came to show us what it really means to be a human, what we were designed to be in Jesus. He came to give us a model to lead us, to teach us, to give us wisdom for life. And obviously what we've celebrated in the last two weeks, he came to die on a cross to pay for our sins so that we can be restored in relationship with him. And so you see God coming in an invasion, dying on the cross, so that we can be reconciled with God. But that's only phase two. And I want you to notice something here. The disciples say, are you going to restore the kingdom? Is this going to fix everything? 
John the Baptist had the same question because, you see, a lot of the Jews of Jesus' day assumed that when the Messiah came, that would be it. God would fix everything. And Jesus didn't do that. And that's what the disciples were asking. John the Baptist asked Jesus the same question. Aren't you going to fix everything? Aren't you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, no, because you have a job too. You're phase three. And that's us. Our part in God's story. So we're now entering another major transition in God's story. First was when Israel came. Four weeks ago, not Israel, but now Jesus comes to earth, phase two. And now today with Pentecost, we enter phase three, the final phase. A little Bible trivia for you. Oftentimes in the New Testament, you'll read that phrase, in the last days. And today a lot of us think that's talking about Revelation kind of stuff. But it's not. What it's talking about, we are now in the final period, the last days. Between Jesus being resurrected and him returning again when everything is fixed. And that period in between, between now and not yet, that's our job. That's the phase of the church. That's what we're here for. And that's what Jesus told the disciples. There's one more part of God's plan. And I'm going back to heaven because you're his plan now with the help of his spirit. And that's what began today. So I want to talk for a little bit about our place in God's story because it affects every one of us. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. We looked at this a week or two ago, but I want to read it one more time. 2 Corinthians 5 starting with verse 18, because this lays out for us very clearly our part in God's story. Paul is talking about the world and, and how everything is working out. And I want to jump in with verse 18. All this is from God. He's laid it all out. He's done all this. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ, phase two. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, phase three. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, phase two. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, phase three. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that's exactly what Jesus said, be my witnesses. Tell others what I have done for them on the cross. Tell others that they can come back into God's kingdom. Tell others that they can be reconciled with God no matter what they've done. I paid for their sin. I paid for their penalty. They can come home to the Father. Like any prodigal son or daughter, the door is open to enter back into the kingdom of God. And that's our message. That's the last phase 
Because God didn't die and care about just the Jews in Israel. Jesus died for all people. And so he said to the church, I need you to be my witnesses. Tell what you know all around the world. And that's part of why there's a world map in this sanctuary. Because that is our assignment. It's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. Now we have one other task while we're doing this. In a sense, it's the same task as Israel had. And that is that as we are telling others, we are also living examples of what it's like to be in the kingdom. To show people what happens if you live with God instead of on your own. Is life any different? Is there really a benefit to listening to God and living in relationship with Him? And we're the living example. Not just words and testimonies, but the church is to be the example of the power of God to change a life, restore a family, give direction and purpose and worth, show how people of all different races, economic levels, all the differences that divide humanity in the church can all go away. And people can value each other, accept each other, forgive each other, and live in a way that the rest of the world says, wow. Because you see, that's how the church began. Right away, it started doing that. Turn back with me to Acts 2. It's described for us at the end of the chapter, this other mission, if I can call it, of the church, while we're going Start with verse 44 in Acts 2. All the believers, so I jumped away from it, or we skipped it. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people accepted Christ, became Christians. You instantly have a megachurch without the building. Um, and so now we have a description of how those Christians work together. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and, notice this phrase, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to look at those last two phrases just for a second. The quality of the life of those early Christians, as they cared for each other, as they lived together, was so appealing, the whole rest of the city admired them, looked up at them and said, wow, look how those Christians are living. Just like today, huh? I will talk about that in a second. But then the other thing that's there is this quality of life and the message of this early Christian group was so appealing, they were adding people every day. People who said, I want what they've got. I want in. I want this Jesus. I want to be in the kingdom of God and see the kind of life they're having in my life. That was the quality of this baby church as it first got started. Now, I was being sarcastic a minute ago. 
I want to talk about today and take a little reality check. Because believe me, I know, oftentimes the church no longer lives up to that beginning. A lot of you have had horror stories in the church. Most of us probably have. And we know that at times the church can be the direct opposite of what God intended it to be. It can be judgmental and condemning. It can be divisive. It can be legalistic. It can be uncaring. It can even go off and hide in a corner and ignore the rest of the world and never tell anybody else about Jesus. There are often times throughout history the church has lost its way. And at any given time, there are individual congregations that are far from what God intended. And I think it is important for us as Christians to acknowledge that. First of all, to have integrity as we talk with the world. We can't candy coat it. Sometimes the church is not pretty, it's ugly. But we also need to acknowledge that as a warning. Because the truth is, any church can end up going down that path. If that church does not keep a clear vision of what we're supposed to be, and be committed to that, and doing the hard work and the hard choices to be that kind of loving, accepting, forgiving, serving, united, caring place, and that that is our job, it is our task, it is our priority, and we must do what it takes to remain that way. But just as we admit there are times the church is in the news for all the wrong reasons, the truth is there are also great churches doing exactly what God wants them to do. And I hope every one of you who have at least at some point been involved in a church like that. A church that is loving and accepting, that is serving, that does care, that does work very hard to be forgiving with each other. All of the things the church is intended to be. I would never say we are a perfect church, but I think this church is a healthy church doing pretty well in these kinds of areas. And I'm delighted to be a part of it, to be blessed by it, and to work very hard that we never lose that. The church can be that today. And what you see is those are the churches that people around them are saying, I, I want to be a part of that. Just like in the book of Acts. They really care. I've had visitors say as they've come through the door, we visited a lot of churches, but there's something felt different here. Now, I didn't put those words in their mouth. But you see, when people find the church the way it's supposed to be, they notice something different. And what do we see in Acts 2? It enjoyed the favor of all the people around watching that church. That's our challenge, to be this church. Now we're going to talk in the next couple weeks about what's that mean for us and that world. His assignment to be witnesses. But we can't do that if we're not the church as, it intend, as we need to be, as we're intended to be. That church with God's power that is loving and helping and forgiving and serving and all of those things, we got to do that too. Now how do we do that? Well, 
I have a little secret, and it's really built around an image. And every one of you have this image in your heads. You're taking a little kid for a walk, let's say two years old, so they can walk, but you're going to go for a walk in, in the park. And for a while, they're doing fine, but then they get tired, don't they? Lack of energy, they're, but when are we going home? Whatever they can say, preschooler. What is the one thing that will re-energize them? Takes two hands from two different people walking on each side of them. Yep. And each grabs a hand and starts swinging them. Sorry. And suddenly that kid is like, this is great, let's not go home. Now, mom and dad are dying about the 10th swing. And the thing I've learned is I don't care how strong you are, dad, you can't do it by yourself. Because you sort of swing them into your own legs. Takes two. But with the help of those two adults swinging that small, weak, tired child, that child is no longer weak and tired. That child is energized by those two adults swinging that child. I want you to hold that image in your head. I'm not as emotional about that, although I have memories of kids and grandkids. What I'm emotional about is we have those two people. We have Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit. And by God's design, he knew we would get tired being the church. We would run out of energy. Our feet would hurt. We would say, can't do it anymore. We want to go home. And God would say, I, I can't take you home yet, but I'll help you. I'll swing you. Because you will have my son who came to earth and understands and is still with you. And you have my spirit living in you. To energize you and to guide you and direct you and help you. And that's how we can be that loving church. Not on our own. Never forget, if we are trying to be the church in human power, we are no different than the Kiwanis or any other league or anything. It is only when we have our hands in Jesus and the Spirit that we are the church, and nobody else can claim that. Nobody else has those two hands, but we do. And when we hold on to those hands, Never letting go of Jesus. He is always our model, always our source, always our Savior. We learn about Him, we follow Him, and we rely on the power of God living in us through the Spirit. We're not on our own. God is in us. God is working. And with those two hands, we can be the church. The kind of church that the community looks at and says, wow, wow, I want to be a part of those people. I want to have the Jesus they have. I want God living in me. Let us commit ourselves to always remain that kind of church. Let's pray. 
God, we are so thankful, first of all, that you've invited us to be part of your people. That you died for us. And that you were willing, you wanted to live in us as your spirit. And I thank you for all the good in this church, all the people who are holding on to Jesus' hand and the Spirit's hand and swinging with you. Father, help us. Do it more. Hold on tighter. Swing higher for you to accomplish what you need us to do for you. And so that we would always remain the living, attractive church of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.